Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode 21, The Disappearance of Tiffany Sessions. Hey everyone, welcome back to True Crime Works. I'm your host, Ash, and this week's episode, episode 21, is another disappeared case. This one is the disappearance of Tiffany Sessions, and it's a really interesting case. Like many of these disappeared cases, there's a lot of twists and turns, and unfortunately, not a lot of answers. The only announcement I have this week is just remember, if you could, please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps the show out, and it helps others find the show. Thank you for that. I don't really have any more announcements, so let's just get right into the episode. Tiffany Sessions was born on October 29, 1968, in Tampa, Florida. She was born to parents Patrick and Hillary Sessions. Her parents' marriage did not last long. They were divorced a year after Tiffany was born. Although their marriage did not work out, they were committed to being the best parents they could to Tiffany. Tiffany and her mother were especially close. Her mother wanted her to be as beautiful on the inside as she was on the outside. And she was definitely beautiful on the outside. Tiffany's father, Patrick, was a successful real estate developer in South Florida. He had many connections and friends. Tiffany and her father were not especially close when she was growing up, probably because they didn't live together, but they became closer as she grew up and reached her teenage years. Tiffany's mother was also successful. She was in the U.S. Air Force, so they traveled a lot for her work. Tiffany went to schools in California, Texas, and Massachusetts. She even went to an exclusive boarding school in Massachusetts. Her parents' success offered her a great many opportunities in her childhood. Tiffany's mother had the opportunity to buy her a pony when she was old enough to handle it. She was about seven years old at the time, and she had been riding ever since. She rode competitively and went fox hunting with the Groton Pony Club. Hillary got remarried to Douglas Brown, the president of South Florida Fishermen, near Tampa. And Patrick got remarried to Kitty Sessions, and they have a son together, but they have divorced since then. Tiffany would go on to attend the University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida. She had good grades in high school and was able to get into the school. She took her academics seriously. In fact, she decided not to join a sorority during her freshman year because she felt it would take away from her school, and she didn't want to be distracted. Unfortunately, Tiffany got mononucleosis her first semester of college, but she decided not to drop out of school and ended up with a C average. I had a friend in college who had mono one semester, and that really set her back a while. It really stays in your system for months, and it's really no joke. Tiffany would go on to make an agreement with her father that if she got a B average or better, he would pay for her car insurance. And that really worked because after that, she was able to maintain a 3.5 GPA. She was majoring in finance, and her family said that she wanted to go into business 
and maybe get a real estate broker's license. She had some pretty big dreams. She didn't really like the dorms her freshman year, so she decided to move out and get an apartment with her friend Kathleen off campus. She seemed to enjoy school more after she got her own apartment. Everyone had good things to say about Tiffany. She was a pretty girl on the inside and out, and she was known for her smile and was also known to help anyone out that needed it. She was very warm and friendly. She was a 20-year-old junior on February 9, 1989, when she would go missing. She started a new exercise routine after Christmas break of her junior year of college. And this was power walking, which is where you walk really fast. She was running before, but that gave her shin splints. So she decided to start power walking, and she really seemed to enjoy it. Her father said he would give her money if she lost 14 pounds, because I guess she was trying to lose weight or something, according to her mother. She would leave her residence that night, and she lived at the Casablanca East Condominiums. She left before 5 p.m., and she told her roommate that she was going out for her normal walk. And she was dressed in red sweatpants, a long-sleeved white sweatshirt with gray stripes, Reeboks, and she was also carrying a black Walkman player. She was wearing her Rolex watch, but she left her wallet, identification, and keys at her apartment. Several hours passed, and Tiffany did not come home. Her roommate then decided to drive her walking route to see if she was there. She did not find her walking on her route. She thought, you know, maybe she decided to go into a store or something like that, but that did not seem like it was the case. So after that, she decided to call Tiffany's mother. And her mother was the one that first notified the authorities. And the police did not know if a crime had actually been committed because Tiffany had not been missing for that long. And as far as they knew, there was no struggle in her apartment or parking lot. So they really didn't have anything to do. Witnesses did come forward that said that they had seen her walking. And she also spoke to several people in a car. And some say they might have seen her even enter a vehicle. But they were never able to confirm or deny reports that this was actually Tiffany. The authorities were. Now this walking route she thought was safe. It took her along a wooded road. And it was close to clusters of apartments. And they were mostly occupied by University of Florida students. And there were usually a lot of cars and joggers on the road. When her father, Patrick, heard about this, he didn't hesitate to use his connections to organize one of the largest search parties in Florida's history. More than 700 volunteers showed up in search for Tiffany. Included in this group were naval recruits and even members of the Miami Dolphins football team. He also set up a hotline where he would receive 600 calls per day about tips that came in. He used the media and made a press conference where Miami Dolphins quarterback Dan Marino, future governor Jeb Bush, and host of America's Most Wanted TV show John Walsh appeared and spoke to generate publicity for Tiffany's disappearance. And John Walsh, of course, also had a son disappear named Adam Walsh, who you've probably heard of. This went national and 
there were many missing persons posters with her face throughout Florida and even Georgia, which is only a little bit north of Gainesville. Unfortunately, there were no real leads. The Alachua County Sheriff's Department and local volunteers called off a two-day search after it did not produce a single clue. FBI agents got involved and started interviewing everyone that knew her. Patrick Sessions received criticism for involving the public and having so much publicity over the disappearance of his daughter. And he said, quote, I'm not going to apologize that I have a lot of friends. This is not a money effort, but a friend effort, end quote. He clearly would do whatever it took to find his daughter. Two weeks after her disappearance, her case was reclassified from a missing person to a kidnapping case. Patrick offered a $75,000 reward for information on his daughter. Months after the investigation, a man contacted him saying that he knew of her whereabouts and that she needed medical attention. He asked for $250,000 and threatened Tiffany's life if he did not comply. The FBI caught this, and this was actually a professional con artist. And this, unfortunately, was a hoax. And he was sent to prison for six years because of this hoax, which is really sick and sad. By the fall of 1989, Pat increased the reward from $75,000 to $250,000. He also offered $100,000 for any information that would lead to her kidnappers. Now, something you probably have heard about happened in August of 1990 in Gainesville, Florida. And this is the Gainesville Ripper murders. And this, unfortunately, took away headlines from Tiffany's disappearance. The case, unfortunately, went cold. In 1994, a missing child's hotline received a tip about Tiffany. The caller said that Tiffany was being held in Texas with some other missing women. They were being forced to work as prostitutes. The police departments investigated this tip, and unfortunately, it was just an elaborate hoax, and the case went cold again. Later on, an inmate named Michael Knickerbocker, who was sentenced to life in prison for the 1989 rape of another Gainesville College student and the shooting death of a 12-year-old Stark girl, told his fellow inmates that he chained Tiffany to a tree the night of her disappearance and murdered her after, and then he disposed of her body in a river. In August of 2002, investigators searched an area outside of Gainesville where he claimed to have buried her sweatshirt. And they recovered a piece of bloodstained material. Tests were run to determine if the blood was Tiffany's, but to this date, the results have not been announced. It is rumored that the material does not match that of a sweatshirt. And furthermore, his claims have said to just been a cruel joke. This case was also not connected to the Gainesville Ripper murders because Danny Rowling was not in Gainesville during the time of Tiffany's disappearance. In February of 2014, the biggest break happened in the case. Alachua County named Paul Rowles as Tiffany's abductor. He was a career criminal and he was sentenced to prison in 1976 
for the rape and murder of his neighbor. He was released in 1985, and then he moved to Gainesville, Florida in 1988. In 1994, he crawled through an apartment window and forced a 15-year-old girl at knife point to leave with him. Once they got to his apartment, he forced the victim inside and raped her. She was able to escape because he let her go to another room to get a drink, and she was able to run out and go to a neighbor's for help. He was convicted of this rape and kidnapping and was sentenced to 19 years in prison. He died in prison of cancer. After his death, DNA linked him to a homicide in 1992 of a Santa Fe college student in Gainesville, Florida, named Elizabeth Foster, whose body was only a mile from where Tiffany had disappeared. Rouse was known to have worked in construction near where Tiffany would jog. And what's really creepy is he kept this day planner, and on February 9th, 1989, he wrote the number two which could mean that Tiffany was his second victim. If he was at the construction site and saw Tiffany, she would be the victim of opportunity. He probably lured her in with some kind of false story, assaulted her, and then killed her. Rouse was questioned about this before his death, and he said he had nothing to do with it. But of course, this could be a lie. Tiffany's family, especially her father, Patrick, who has been very outspoken during all of this, believes that Paul Rawls was the killer. So far, Tiffany's body has not been found. The police conducted a 10-acre area search where Elizabeth Foster's body was found. But they have not found anything. And this was nearly 30 years ago, so it would be hard to find anything. Like I said before, Tiffany's family and most investigators do believe that Paul Rouse was the person who committed this crime against Tiffany. He was a convicted sex offender and murderer and probably had more victims than we know about. Tiffany was in the area that he was working and she was also the right age for his victim profile. This is very sad that the family cannot have any kind of closure. They do not know exactly what happened. Her mom, Hillary Sessions, still remains hopeful that at least evidence will come forward. She has said, quote, God told me I had to learn patience. I can't tell you how happy I am that we are still out here 31 years later, and I am not going to give up, end quote. I think this is such a sad case because there is no closure and the family still doesn't know exactly what happened. And even the person who everyone believes did this still didn't admit that he did it and he's dead. It's also so terrifying that she was just a happy college girl living her life, going out for her walk. And then unfortunately everything changed just because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, which was no fault of hers. It's really scary how things can change like that. And it's really scary. You probably think that could never happen to you. But sadly, it can. I really truly hope that one day Tiffany's family is able to get some kind of closure. 
Well, that was episode 21, The Disappearance of Tiffany Sessions. I really hope that you enjoyed it. It was a really sad case, but it was also really interesting to research. If you could, please take a moment to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you you get your podcasts from. It would be greatly appreciated. You can also follow me on Instagram at TrueCrimeWorks. And if you have any ideas for upcoming cases, you can email me, TrueCrimeWorks at gmail.com, or you can just send me a message on Instagram. I check it pretty much every day. Thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you next week. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.